Let's camera action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I am Ross Bacon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuane. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? And as you should know by now, we're a beer podcast, and we bring up some movies every now and then, and we do other things, mostly. I can uh, juggle. Yeah, Mike can juggle, mostly just bullshitting. That's what we do. So Balloon animals. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. That is a skill that none of you will ever see because it's so damn good. We're not even going to show you. But, <laughs> you um, don't deserve to yeah, you see don't, you our don't, clown you abilities. You haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. <laughs> now but, you really got to see me juggle balloon animals. Yeah, even better. You still definitely haven't earned that shit. <laughs> like when we get like a Patreon going, that's when you'll get to see. You have to pay for that shit. <laughs> Premium. But, uh, OnlyFans right. just need yeah. juggling balloon animals. Dude, dude I don't want to know. Like that's probably a section of OnlyFans that, you know, that's like the dark corners of Pornhub. It's like it's even darker because you're paying someone to do this shit. <laughs> It's like it's like finding a hooker in like the streets of New York in 1979. Like one of like like uh, one of the one of the Lizzies come up to you like juggling fucking uh, juggling balloon animals, and next thing you know, you're being filmed by some weird guy with a mustache, and you can't remember most of the night. <laughs> not that I would know. No, not that I would know. Anyway, so Cold Classics uh, month number week number two uh, continues this week. And we got some we got some great ones. We're gonna do uh, Escape from New York. Then we're going to talk about the Boondock Saints. And then we're going to come back to New York to talk about the Warriors. And uh, before we do any of that, though, we got to talk about what we're drinking. So, Mike, what do you got? All right. So, I did a craft a six pack at uh, Total Wine. And I kind of figured I was going to drink the beer I'm drinking now next week because I got beer from a brewery in New York that I was planning on drinking for this week because the movies are obviously take place in New York. But the I feel like the theming of this beer just goes better with this week. So I'm going with Eight and Sands Underground, and it's a sour ale brewed with pink guava, but it's got like a classic like punk rocker on the beer can. And I'm like, you know, Warriors is about as punk rock of a movie as you get. Yeah, pretty much. There, there is even a gang in there called the Punks. Yep. <laughs> Yet they don't look like punk rockers. They wear roller skates and overalls. <laughs> and I feel like people who love Boondock Saints consider themselves punks. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we will get to Boondock Saints yeah. when we get to it because I have feelings about it that I haven't had the didn't have the last time I saw it. <laughs> so um, I feel bad because every time I've reviewed Eight and Sands, something was wrong with my stomach, and they didn't get a fair review the last <laughs> two times I reviewed them. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I'm sorry, Intense, you're finally getting your fair shot because my stomach's fine. So, <laughs> on the other hand, mine might not be. So, <laughs> so you're lucky it's Mike going. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's a sour ale with pink lava. I'm not usually a big sour person, but, um, I like the more natural, like, fruit, fruit flavored sour than, like, the candy sours. So, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Looking good. Okay, yeah, definitely it's a more mild sour taste. You can taste the guava in it. This is the type of sour I would normally, like, if I'm going to drink a sour, this is what I like. Like, it tastes like a natural progression of adding fruit to a beer. Nice, nice. So, good job, Aiden. Favorable review. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, then Mike will, uh, it's not making, uh, Mike's stomach is not making the decisions tonight. But me, on the other hand, I had uh, I went uh, I went down LBI over the for this weekend, 
And yesterday, of course, if you know anything about LBI and me, you know, I had to go to Ship Bottom Brewery. I went there and last night I drank a couple of their beers that are quite like sugary. So through no fault of theirs, my morning this morning was not great, but it was all on me, but I shouldn't have uh, mixed the two that I was going. So I was going to give like a fair review or like an actual taste review to, uh, to their bomb pop sour ale, but I'm going to wait to do that next week. Uh, so I can give it a little bit for my stomach to settle down, but, um, I should be good, but tonight I just didn't want to test it again. I didn't want to, didn't want to throw gas back on the fire. So instead, what I'm doing is I'm going back to, uh, my beer of the month club. My other two last time was from Duclaw. This time they are from Rough Tail Brewing Company, which is in Oklahoma City. And the two that I'll be drinking from, the first one is Polter Weiss or Polter Weiss. And it's uh, obviously it's a half of ice in it's 5.1%. It's really good. It's like really smooth. Like there's not really any kind of usually get that, like kind of like a bite to half of ice a little bit, but that this one doesn't really have it. It just goes really smooth. It's almost like flat orange juice, which is somehow good. But um, there's another one. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, gonna to drink the second one for uh, probably coming up. Cause it's also named after a, uh, a movie. And it's also named after a movie that we've actually done recently. So that will be fun. But first, we have to escape from New York from 1981. Johnny C, good old John Carpenter, comes back. And, of course, Mike is fresh off of watching Vampires uh, yes. for that. And uh, so now we're going, I would say we're going from a lesser-known Carpenter to probably his, one of his most well-known. You know, At least in terms of action. Yeah. Like, I feel like more people know Carpenter for his, like, horror suspense. This is this is his move to action, that it, it, and it's his best move to action. Yeah, I mean, you, when you talk about John Carpenter, you're talking about Halloween, The Thing, and this. <laughs> and a lot of other people will be like, well, what about They Live? It's like, well, yeah, that's great, too. But when you're talking about John Carpenter, those three are the ones that come up. And uh, even Escape from L.A. has a certain like weird charm to it even though it's not incredible is so like there's the basketball scene what and the surfing scene the surfing scene is my is my favorite but that i mean that whole that whole movie is just this movie but slightly different but like la you know instead of a like a fight club boxing gladiatorial match you get basketball um instead of the glider, he's surfing, you know, and there's then there's the whole underground uh, cosmetic surgery that the like, creatures that they have with, I believe, Bruce Campbell is the uh, head surgeon of that, I believe, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. That's what when I was looking at uh, when I was looking at vampires, apparently the not Alec Baldwin, the original person they wanted to play, not Alec Baldwin, was Bruce Campbell. And I'm like, if you throw Bruce Campbell in that role, this is my new favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty great to have him be uh, Daniel Baldwin's role of Tony Montoya. <laughs> you know, it's a Tony Montana. But, yeah, I mean, but right off the bat with this movie, this soundtrack fucking rules. Oh, like, it does. This I also theme think song gotta, kicks ass. There's a whole list of late grades we have to go down the list in this movie. Yeah, gotta, like, basically everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah, so the major ones are Lee Van Cleef, uh, yep, Ernest uh, Borgnine, Ernest Borgnine, yep, uh, Donald Pleasance, and Isaac 
Isaac Hayes and Harry Dean Stanford are all have all passed. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanford. Yeah, they are all dead. And uh, yeah, there is so much about like each one of their characters that is for any one of them. You could be like, give me an example of one of their best on screen characters, and you just pick the ones from this movie. And that's it. For anyone who doesn't know the names, leave. Uh, Lee Van Cleef is probably most famous for playing uh, Sentenza in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, which yep. he's the the bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he is the bad guy. Um, no, it's been forever since I've seen that movie. Yeah. it's not. It, I don't see why people rank it among like the 10 best movies ever. I don't get it, but whatever. That's uh, like, that's like, those, like all movie critics have like a hard on for Westerns. Mm-hmm. And like that's that's like the gritty one. So like Donald did, Pleasance is Donald Dr. Pleasance, man. talking about yeah, I was gonna say talking about Halloween, fucking Pleasance, man. He doesn't even see of the two between this and LA, which is Cliff Robertson, mm-hmm. uh dead Toby Maguire's Uncle Ben. Um between the two of them, because Pleasance plays the president in this, I I lean towards Robertson because this one He's just kind of a dick. Yeah. Like he's a hostage who then turns out to be like a guy, a president who just doesn't give a shit about anybody, but you know, his image mm-hmm. and Robertson, at least in the, in LA is like that firebrand Christian, everything fun is bad kind of thing, you know, the like sex, drugs, like rock and roll, all bad for you, all illegal, you know? Yeah. Like overall, he would probably do more damage as a president, but yeah, at least he stands for something. This guy is just the he got elected to be elected type guy. Yeah, he just happens to be the one with the briefcase handcuffed to his hand. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 very it's very odd because Pleasance is such a great actor that to have him do like this really basically nothing role, it's it's kind of weird. It's almost as if Carpenter was like pulling like a Wes Craven with a Drew Barrymore and scream. It's like, how could I get one of the best actors in this movie to do nothing? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> and then of course Isaac Hayes, most famous for voicing Chef. Obviously, yeah. One of the most famous, uh, also one of the most famous Scientologists out there as well. He uh, apparently suddenly had a problem with South Park when they uh, did their little Scientology episode, and yeah. that's why Chef dies. <laughs> yeah, and they... <laughs> I love that that episode where they just make fun of the little club. <laughs> yep, yep. This is what they actually believe. <clears throat> but, yeah, it's... And it's, of course, it's also, I, I, what I love about Isaac Hayes in this, the Duke is what we see. He's the Duke. He has chandeliers on his car. Yes. It's those fucking full size chandeliers <laughs> that he's got above his headlights on his car. It's so good. It's I'm like, if I was, if I was the main crime lord in a giant prison that, like a giant city that's a prison, you, you know, I'm rolling around in a Cadillac with chandeliers on my car. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's 1981. Well, technically, it's 1997. Now, so this movie takes place the year I was born. Right. But, Mike, what else in movie history, in movie timelines, took place in 1997? Specifically, August 23rd of 1997. August 23rd of 1997. Like, are you just talking about movies in general? Or? That is the specific date in the story of one of the biggest movies of all time that something very large Terminator? happens. What is it? Terminator? 
Yeah, it's 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 the original Judgment Day. <laughs> now, Manhattan being walled off and becoming a prison and looking a lot like Skull Beach over that wall. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> I just think the machines haven't busted down the walls yet. <laughs> now, there is kind of a uh, something that didn't age well in this movie. Not like no fault of this movie. I think I know where you're going with this, and it's the opening scene, right? Yes. Yeah, with the glider going into, uh, with the plane going in, Air Force One going into New York, yep. crashing about two blocks away from the towers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. I was like, because every time, like, I always have a running gag whenever I'm watching a movie, especially if my wife's here, like, if Kara's watching with me, whenever they show, it's a movie, obviously, before 9-11, they show the towers in New York. I'll, my first word, I just go, insensitive. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So when that happened, I was like, oh, that actually yeah, might be insensitive. <laughs> now, that's, that's, a, that's one of those up. things that didn't age well, no fault of the movie. like Right, yeah, I mean, obviously Carpenter couldn't have known, and even the movie's events take place before 9-11, yeah. so it's like, they obviously couldn't have known, but it's that's but that's one of those things where, like, you know, the darkest internet conspiracy theorist will go carpenter knew something he was in on it you know it's like oh okay so we can stop talking to you and invite you to thanksgiving dinner <laughs> perfect but then there's also mike what is the uh the terrorist organization that hijacks air force one known what are they called i forget what they were called crap the National Liberation Front of America. And the only thing I could think of was People's Front of Judea. Judea. Fuck off. <laughs> we hate the Judean People's Front. We are right. the Judean People's Front. <laughs> we are the National Liberation Front of America. <laughs> That's, it made me think of, uh, it made me think of, I want to say it was South Park, where they just keep, like they keep coming with national liberation fronts, but like just keep getting progressively longer and longer names. I might have been, yeah, I don't remember, but uh, yeah, and then like once we get inside the walls of like of this prison, New York, it's so great because it's I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else, and he's no longer with us, so he's not going to be, you won't be seeing him anything in the future. But uh, Frank Doubleday is the actor's name. He plays Romero, who is the, like, spiky-haired kind of vampire-looking dude that we meet that ho- that presents um the president's finger. Mm-hmm. And so he's, like, the right-hand man of the Duke. That guy is so goddamn weird. It's like an instant, like... It's almost like kind of like with the Warriors. It's almost like an instant Halloween costume. You know, it's like yeah. you're going to get someone who's going to dress up as this that, guy. That's your, this movie. Like if you're pointing out like the griminess and grittiness of 80s movies, this is the movie you should really point to. It is. It like, is. You very... get the, even like they should with the uh, the technology showing at the beginning with like a different tech that they show. I'm like, that just screams 80s movie. Yeah. Like 80s futuristic movie. Yeah, and then you add in like the soundtrack and everything is very synthy and yeah, it's it's mm. but it's it's still it's so it's so good. Like and it all works so well. But the thing is, and we'll discuss with Boondock Saints why if you take a certain actor out of that movie, the whole thing falls apart. If you take Kurt Russell out of this movie, I'm not entirely sure we're talking about it as a cult classic. Yeah. Like his snake like Snake Bliskin one of the most legendary characters of all time and Russell just plays it so perfectly. And 
even in even like at the time for this, he was still kind of like Disney boy Kurt Russell. Like this, this was, was the like, role that kind of broke him out of it. Like you yeah, argue, so like you could really make the argument that him playing Elvis, where John Carpenter did like the the TV series with Elvis, that's what kind of started him because that's what got him this role. Yeah, yeah. And, but it was his idea to go with the eye patch. Of course. But I want to know whose idea it was to have the giant cobra tattoo on his stomach that looks like it's coming up from his dick. <laughs> I want to know whose idea that now, was. <laughs> now, there is one person, one person, I think you could cast a snake Plissken and this movie still works. It's not Kurt Russell. Nicolas Cage. Well, Nicolas Cage, you could plug into any movie. Because in an 81, Nicolas Cage would be like a teenager. <laughs> and that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I've made the point of saying that this person and Kurt Russell are actually the same person. One was just raised in Texas. One was raised in California. Oh, God damn it. God damn it. I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his fucking name. Patrick Swayze, damn That's it. right. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, you put him there. That would it. It would he would almost have to add like a bit of a Bodhi spiritualist like vibe yeah. to it. He would almost have to do that. But then yeah, again, his problem with authority would have to come from like a more philosophical point, right? And not just a been fucked over, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, but it's uh, the running gag, and it's it's the running gag in. Again, like I said, Escape from L.A. is this movie just with different twists on some of the on the on the tropes. The running gag in this movie is I heard you were dead. Like yeah. uh, this is Snape listening, I heard you were dead in L.A. It's I thought you I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> and then there's um oh, shit. I just had it. There's also the um fuck. I just I just completely lost my fucking train of thought there. There's another running gag in in L.A. that is like. Oh, okay. It, I could almost. I'm not even going to pretend I know where I was going with this. I, I completely, <laughs> literally forgot everything that I was about to say. Fuck it. The hell with it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, but like, oh yeah, but like the call me snake and then eventually like the call me Pliskin. Like, yeah. all of these little lines like that Russell delivers are so damn good. But Swayze would have had to have been. He would have had to have been a lot more gritty than he's than he ever was. And he would have this was around was this around the time of the um was this around the time of the outsiders for him? Yeah, I would say so. So he would have been a child, <laughs> basically. I, so Patrick Swayze actually like he always looked young. Right. Yeah, he so, but I don't think he would young. have been that much of a child in this. Like I think he would have at least been mid twenties. Right. Yeah, what, he would have been, been twenty nine. This, this was two years before Outsiders, so he did Outsiders after this. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he didn't do much before this. Before the Outsiders, that was kind of what broke him. But I'm, I mean, I could also see like, even though it would basically be, um, like criminal pirate Indiana Jones, you get Harrison Ford as Snake. It would be kind of the same, but like, yeah, it would. It would almost have to work. It would work better with an older ford like an already gruff ford like kind of like yeah um, i think the ford you need would almost be rick deckard and blade runner 2049 is what it would have to be <laughs> no no i i'm thinking a young like younger than that I, but i'm thinking 
maybe the fugitive ford i think maybe the fugitive ford that would work yeah that that would definitely work um but yeah i mean there's so much there's so much like just from a filmmaking perspective about this movie like the pacing of it is so slow Mm -hmm. and deliberate that it's almost like Carpenter's fucking with you. Yeah. He's almost like, this is an action movie that's not an action movie, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Like, the underground people, I wish they actually went into that more, like, as almost, like, a reason the, the people want to escape so bad. is <laughs> like, right. the underground people are getting untamable. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Or but- I want there to be a subplot of, like, yeah, there used to be a, there used to be a bigger thing of underground people, but, uh, the Duke got his name, the Duke, by coming up with a plan of just Molotov cocktailing the shit out of the sewers and right. taking, and people just started following him after that. Yeah. Yeah. It probably is a matter of I killed everyone at all of my competition, mm-hmm. you know, so the strongest survives on that. Now, I love the brain. The brain is one of my favorite characters. In Everything Stanton, man. And because like i love the the idea of like this dude's actually really smart and he just kind of started using his brain to rob (laughs) rob places well did you notice adrian barbeau calls him brian a couple times yeah she calls him brian a couple times i was like really john we're not cutting and saying that line again or at least adring it back because she's not on screen when she says it Mm -hmm. i was like wait is it brain or brian which one are we doing here because his real name is like harold or something like that and that's because he gets pissed when snake uses it but he's like wait Brian, really? <laughs> We're gonna leave that in there. All right, <laughs> why not? <laughs> but yeah, that's and other like I love the just the look of the movie in general, and I love how they actually ended up getting the look of the movie. They're like, we need a city that's going to kind of look like the skyline of New York, but we cannot afford the film in New York. And they're like, where can we go? St. Louis, perfect. And St. Louis happened to just have a fire in a new business district. So they uh, they had like a pre-set up area of scorched looking buildings that they hardly had to touch. Then right. They were like, can we film here? And St. Louis hadn't had a film project. So the mayor was like, yeah, yeah, fucking film here. We want you to film here. And Absolutely. he's like, well, how many blocks can we shut down? He's like, any given time, you can shut down 10 blocks of the city. Imagine living in St. Louis in 1981, like working there and be like, oh, my my office is closed. Okay, wonderful. (laughs) I guess I'll just not work today. (laughs) And then the bridge that they use at the end was a bridge in St. Louis. It's crazy how much St. Louis came through for John Carpenter on this movie. Yeah, I mean, they they bought the bridge from the government for one dollar. Because it was so poorly put together that when cast members were going across it, they were like step through the bridge. <laughs> Which is exactly what they needed to have, you know? <laughs> and it's... then and even the plane, they found, they ended up getting it. The plane was decommissioned in St. Louis and they just bought it. <laughs> I mean, it's just as luck would have it, you know? <laughs> and then Grand Central <clears throat> Station was an abandoned train station in St. Louis that they didn't even have to doctor up to make it look like a dirty train station because it was already a shithole. <laughs> right. I mean, and it's supposed to take place in future 90, 90, 1997 where Manhattan's a prison. So you don't need to make it look recognizable. Yeah. It just needs to vaguely kind of be like yeah, what it, it should be. It just so happened St. Louis had a designated area that was enough of a shithole to pass as a dystopian future New York. 
I, I'm willing to bet there's parts of St. Louis that could still pass for dystopian New York. <laughs> it's not it's not one of the best cities after uh, after certain points. But <laughs> they have um, an arch. <laughs> yeah, they got yeah they got big that big fucking arch. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, they used to have Rams. <laughs> they they used to have a football team. Yeah, and now they have a baseball team. <laughs> but yeah, it's this movie. This movie's like. I don't know how much more I even have to say about it because this movie is just one of those things where it's like, if you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. Like, it's just such a great Carpenter movie. The atmosphere, like the building of the atmosphere is so perfect in this movie. I really don't have much bad to say about it. No, I mean, I, I, the only thing, like, there isn't really anything that I can come up with that's, that's, um, that's like negative, really. It's, it the only thing that the only thing that really a negative I could say isn't even for the movie. It's the fact that in Escape from LA, they keep mentioning this thing that happened in Cleveland. And I want to know what the hell happened in Cleveland. Like I want to escape from Cleveland, man. I want to know I want That's that. just called everyday life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That would be great. If like it was just like make like a little short or something like that, like a five minute like YouTube what video. In Cleveland. I met Drew Carey. <laughs> right. I met Drew Carey. Uh Pam Greer was a guy <laughs> and uh, shit went to hell, you know, <laughs> but, but um, one thing in this movie, it's actually one of my favorite plot subversions ever because it's so not focused on in the scope of the movie, but it's really effective upon first viewing. It's when he meets the girl in the, the uh, whatever, the pharmacy or whatever. The oh, underground yeah, yeah, yeah. People attack. Cause Going into this movie, if this is the first time you're seeing it, you're thinking, oh, that's going to be his love interest. He's going to try to escape with her at the end of the movie. They're going to tell him she has to stay or she'll sacrifice herself or something. No, immediately a band of underground lunatics attack and he can't save her. So he just goes and saves himself and she's left for dead. End of her story. And that's that's essentially Snake Plissken too. It's yeah. like fuck you, I'm out for myself, you know. And so yeah. I'm not gonna be dragged down. And that is was such a good tone setter for the movie. It is, it is because it happens relatively early. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like right when he gets to New York and he's like mm-hmm. walking around. Um, but yeah, it's this movie is just great. It's it's such a great movie, and there's there's a lot more in LA of like the social commentary and like the political commentary and all that. But this one, it's essentially like. Yeah, we're made like New York in the 70s. Let's just make it the future because this is a hell city. Um, We're just going to turn it into a fucking prison because who would want to live here? Let's wall it off and go from there. Well, I love that the inspiration, one of the major inspirations for this script was was, was Charles Bronson in uh, In Death Wish. In Death Wish. Because John Carpenter was like, well, New York's not exactly like that where everyone on the street is out to get you. But what if it was? Right. What if it was? And then it's like, oh, right. Remember two years ago we had that movie, The Warriors, as well? Same thing. (laughs) Same thing, but with more costumes. But, yeah, I mean, and, oh, and, of course, you know, of course, speaking of costumes, there is the iconic Snake Plissken, like Zubaz pants, you know, like the like the like the black and white semi cam like camouflage like wrestler pants that he wears with that uh with that like leather jacket. It's just a cool ass look, you know, and like the vest. It's just cool. He's just a cool dude. He is a cool anti hero. Yeah, but um, yeah, and like again, it's John Carpenter. On other than like Ghosts of Mars, uh, you're not really gonna go 
wrong with him. You know, it's he's got, he's got some good shit out there, and this is definitely one of them. So that was. Oh, we didn't even mention Tom Atkins is in this. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly, Tom Atkins, welcome to the movie. All right, now see you later. All right, so Mike, how is your beer? Doing good. I'm about halfway done my first one. Now, sours still aren't my favorite because, uh, so I don't really drink them that quickly. But I do like this one. So, Aint and Sand, good job. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done, Aint and Sand. High praise. High praise. <laughs> but um, all right. So yeah, my Poltervice from um, what is it? Rough Tail Brewing Company in Okehomie City is uh pretty good. Again, like I said, um, taking it slow. So taking it slow. But now we got to get into the movie that. Oh boy, it happens with cult classics. Some of them just don't hold up. And uh, Boondock Saints, nineteen ninety nine, is definitely one of those movies. <laughs> so this is one of those movies. I wish I just left it on the shelf after I watched it my freshman year of college. After me and my friends went for a little L walk, came back, popped open a few beers, decided to watch a movie. That's where that's where Boondock Saints has to be left in your life, or else you're going to ruin the memory. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we were just like Mike and I were talking before this. It's it's one of those movies that like if you see it your freshman year of college, you're and you're a guy, you're about the right age for it to be like edgy and cool. Especially if it's like right before, you know, the first week of school, there's always that guy selling posters on the quad. Like every college has it and they always have a Boondock Saints poster. So you're watching this movie. Maybe you met some new friends and your guys are like, hey, let's have some beers, watch a movie. You watch this and you all go out and buy one of those posters. Yeah. yeah and you start you start quoting obscure Irish like like poems and psalms and Irish shit prayers yeah prayers and shit i mean but, i do um, i do quote obscure irish stuff but uh that's more because i'm a nerd not because i like not because of the boondocks i'm an irish nerd <laughs> but yeah i mean but then like you're, you're not going out you're not buying uh some pea coats and some jeans and then uh rocking the rosaries and all that but uh you know it's it again, it's the, for this movie. Now, I had the benefit of seeing this movie essentially right after it came out because that's when I was in college and it was my freshman year. Uh, so that would have been 2000. There was a guy I was friends with on my floor. He's like, Yo, you ever seen Boondock Saints? I'm like, What the fuck are you talking about? I've never even heard of this movie. And so we watched it and it was like, This is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. There are so many like, hilariously quotable lines and they're it's it's funny as shit but it's also like badass these like avenging angels they're doing revenge and it's cool but then like right now we have uh our theories are a serial crusher and a huge fucking guy (laughs) but um but then it's like going back to it 20 years later it's like oh man this this aside from willem dafoe and some of the greenly lines this movie might be unwatchable Spike TV after 4 a.m. trash. <laughs> now, I will say, there there are a couple fight scenes that I do enjoy. A, the first time that they, like, when the Russian gangsters come to their apartment and he jumps off with, like, the toilet and lands on them and they just kind of have it out there. I'll enjoy that scene until the day I die. I like that scene. 
Yeah, it's it's I I don't have a problem with it. What I do have a problem with is the like hulking out that Sean Patrick Flannery does when his brother's being taken away. It's almost like, no, you motherfuckers, you can't take him out of the room or else I'll kill myself. It's like it's like he has this weirdly emotional. I mean, I know it's his brother and all, but he has this like over the top cartoonish response to it, you know, and to get to carry that toilet up to the edge to huck it with precision and then dive with precision from like five, six stories up. Sure. I'm not (laughs) arguing that it's ridiculous, that it's not ridiculous, but I still enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, you enjoy it in like a different way. Now you're like, wow, this is just stupidly fun, you know, but like back in like 2000, when you say you're like, Oh, what a cool action scene. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> That's also stupidly fun when they just kind of fall into the room with the guys and they're t- hung up by their feet and just spinning at perfect timing and just killing them all. Right, right. Yeah, that. And, and then the third action scene that's a lot of, it's probably the better action scene in the movie is when they have the firefight. <laughs> there was yeah. a firefight. Right. And now that we've mentioned that Willem Dafoe in this movie is both the best part of it and kind of the worst part of it because of who his character is off the job, because mm-hmm. he's the greatest forensic detective FBI has ever seen, whatever. But off the job, he is a gay man who is the most homophobic, stereotypical gay dude transphobic like uh, nothing about this character on that side of it even sort of holds up (laughs) i mean it is so bad and And there is a there's a lens of looking at him as like he's meant to be bad but that would be giving the writer too much credit yeah who and now i believe the writer of this is the director troy duffy right now troy duffy i don't know if you've ever seen it There is a documentary about this guy. I think it's called Overnight. And it essentially explains how much of a piece of shit this guy is and how sought after in 1999 this script was. This script was like the hottest script in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino was like, yeah, let's try to get this. Let's try to make this work. It's a great script. Harvey Weinstein at the time was kind of like, you know, obviously was one of the biggest power players in uh, Hollywood. He was like helping it get made, all that. Now, the second someone bought, there was like a bidding war for it and everything. So when Troy got the money to make this movie, he essentially immediately started burning bridges. Like the second that check cleared, he started burning bridges in Hollywood. And by the end of the movie, it was like over budget. It might not have even come out like there was a danger. It was never going to see light of day, all this stuff. And then when it came out, it did okay. But he had torched so many relationships in Hollywood that he could never get another job, obviously, until 2009, when he somehow got the funding to make the sequel to this movie, which is somehow even worse than all of the bad parts of this movie. Now, I never actually watched the sequel. (laughs) Don't even bother, because in that, the Willem Dafoe character is now Julie Benz. She is like a um, a protege of Willem Dafoe's character in this. She has an equally terrible, well, she is not equally terrible because this is actually Dafoe's real hair. She has a terrible haircut, a terrible wig in that movie. And she does a lot of the same shit. But 
it's there is so much about it that is just bad. At one point, Rocco comes back to life in a dream to basically tell you how amazing the Boondock Saints are. And it, it has no bearing on anything. It's just so we can get this David Della Rocco back in the movie. And when you look at it, it's it's one of those points in a movie. It's such a bad movie where you go, okay, this is the point where I'm going to stop. I'm never going to finish this movie. I'm going to walk away and pretend I never saw this. <laughs> you know, it's just terrible. Now, again, this movie overall is bad, but some of the lines are just like, I love Doc saying, why don't you make like a tree and get the fuck out of here? Right. Yeah. Hey, we got to get you a book of Proverbs, man. This mix and match shit doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> what cracked me up the most is now Willem Dafoe's character's gimmick is that he he recreates all the action scenes before we actually see them. Like right before the scene's about to happen, it fades to black. And these, these fucking scene transitions are so bad. They're such amateur hour shit. They, they, and he like explains everything as like, you know, an incredible uh, forensic detective would. He explains everything. Then we say it now in the first thing with the serial crusher theory, um, he pulls out his earbuds. He puts them in, he pulls out his little rubber gloves and then he pulls his suit jacket back to hit play on a gigantic disc man. <laughs> when he did that, I started laughing my ass yeah. off. I was like, there is no goddamn way that I am supposed to take this man seriously with that fucking fanny pack sitting off of him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, one of my favorite scenes is after when they actually drop in and do like they spin and just kill everyone. Perfect timing. Yeah. And then, uh, and he's doing like the action scene for that. And he's like, we have two sound theories and neither of which involve giant men. It almost makes me want to do an Irish jig. <laughs> neither of them involve abnormally sized <laughs> men. Yeah. It's, it's, it is. It is such a good, good. Uh, now line. I also never really, but then he does river dance real quick. <laughs> And that, that's absolutely something that needed to be in this movie. Too. Yeah. Like, it had to be. But then the, in that scene, there's also, like, because then uh, Rocco shows up afterwards, and they fuck the Boondock Saints, fuck with him because that's what they do. And Rocco sucks. Yeah, he sucks, but they're just lovable scamps, too, you know? Yeah. And so then they find out that he's there with a six-shooter. There were nine guys there, and they're like, it's a fucking six-shooter. There's nine bodies, genius. What the fuck were you going to do? Laugh the last three to death? Funny man. <laughs> so that's when he realized, obviously, he's been set up by his mafia guys and all that. But it's, it's, it, it, after that, we have probably my favorite scene of the movie, and it's just because of how ridiculous it is. When they accidentally shoot the cat. Oh, yeah. When they pound up, there's a cat sitting in this apartment. They pound on a table and a gun goes off and explodes this cat everywhere like a fucking water balloon. And I, th I forget which one of the brothers says it. He's like, I can't believe that just fucking happened. And then Rocco goes, is it dead? <laughs> <laughs> and then later they come back because it's, it's his drug addict girlfriend's um, cat. She and her like, prostitute friend come, come in. They're all high and everything. And she asks, she's like, Rocco, where's my cat? Where's my cat? And he's like, 
I will shoot myself in the head if you can tell me that cat's name. And then they're like, um, uh, and he goes, oh, Jesus Christ, what color was it, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, like, I can see why a 19-year-old meathead <sighs> college student drinking, pounding beers would love this movie. Especially, I was that guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. So was I. And it's especially for the What Color Was It Bitch line right yeah. after that, right before it. It's when um, the the friend in, like interjects and she he goes, shut your fat ass, Ramey. I can't buy a pack of smokes without running into nine guys you fucked. And it's like, good line, but... <laughs> Wow, that's misogynistic. <laughs> it's like you can tell that there is some, there is like a, there's a child writing this movie, and it turns out he's the director too. But then the the one explanation, like when we get Defoe's recreation, it's the pretty much the only scene in the movie that seems to be like inspired directorially, because and even though we've seen it before since we've seen it a lot more after uh, since this came out. It Defoe is going through his reenactment alongside of the Boondock Saints as they're doing it, as if he's there. Now, obviously, in a movie with a better budget, you would have him like stylistically imposed into the scene, and then it would go, and then he'd be well. There'd be a lot, a little bit of camera trickery and some effects, but in this, it's just Defoe and good blocking that he's just kind of choreographed next to them the whole time, doing everything that they're doing, and it's a really, it's a, it's a well shot scene and a well shot recreation which makes it stand out even more because right at the end of it, it transitions with a fucking fade to black. Like it's going to commercial break. You know. <laughs> now the two, <clears throat> the two least favorite scenes in this movie are definitely a, when they're in the jail cell and they get their divine mission and rise up. <laughs> Dude, all of that shit. You can fucking keep it. man. And they, I don't need it. This scene, it's more, I just don't get it. Why were the Russian guys' guns and stuff worth just having added to the storeroom of all the weapons? Right. They, like, they didn't bring money. No. It's like, not, <laughs> not, a lot of this movie absolutely doesn't hold up if you start to actually think about it. <clears throat> and then, not even from a story standpoint, just from a, most of the time, a cold classic movie is a movie that is either so like so ahead of its time that it becomes a classic because it was so overlooked when it first came out. This, on the other hand, was one of those like word of mouth indie movies that everybody was like that all like the you know testosterone fueled like college dudes were like, yeah, man, it's the fucking greatest movie ever, blah blah. It's like Quentin Tarantino, man. It's all it is, just Pulp Fiction, the Fred's War Dogs, blah, blah. And then you look at this movie like 20 years after the fact, and nothing about it is good no. or watchable. What you're remembering fondly is you having fun watching it the first time. That's the stuff I'm like, I remember quoting like, like most of Defoe's lines and like all of those and like his uh, Green League. I mean, Onion Bagel with, with cream cheese. You yeah. know? It's like, <laughs> well, it looks like Green League's doing a bagel trip anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like the like the the, the Charlie Bronson line and uh, yeah. like the Rambo lines, like all that shit. Like this huge friggin' rope, you know. 
all those lines are funny, but then <laughs> you look at something like when Rocco has to tell his boss the joke. Yeah. And he tells the most racist joke you can think of. And Ron Jeremy's ass is sitting right next to him. Ron Jeremy now, I believe, in jail for, I think it's rape. <laughs> um, I think he's in jail for rape now. So, and then he's, there's so many things about this movie. You go, wow, none of this lasted or was any kind of timeless past the year 2000, yeah, you know? <laughs> Plus, when you look at Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus as the titular saints, listen, Norman Reedus found his place in Hollywood. He found his role. Can't really say the same for Sean Patrick Flannery, I don't think. Oh, 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 oh you're telling me that Saul 7 isn't a classic on everyone's list? <laughs> I think he might have had a TV show role or something. I'm on. sure he did. He was, the, he was a cute guy for a while. He probably had a good modeling contract but, a little bit. In this movie, neither of them are good actors. <laughs> no, no. And, and it's, it's, it's particularly shown in the courtroom scene where they're running in to execute the Italian mob boss. You want to talk about one of the most unintentionally funny scenes ever. Let's talk about that courtroom scene. When they come in and they start doing their little, we are the boondock saints pitch. We are going to be doing this forever and all that. I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, this is supposed to be serious. A single word that comes out, out of Sean Patrick Flannery's mouth. Right. It's like, this is supposed to be serious. And I'm supposed to go, yeah, these dudes are badasses. When all I'm doing is just cringing and laughing and going, why don't you just kill him and get it over with? You know, just let the mythos of you is better than your fucking press release that you're doing right here. <laughs> just come in. You do like do the crowd control, get everyone down. And then you can say the prayer before you kill do your him. Prayer. That's your thing. That's your thing. Yeah, you do the prayer before you kill him because that's like ice cold shit you're throwing out there. Yeah, that's like Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, man. It's, yeah. it's fucking great. Like that's that's one thing with this movie, the prayer, the family prayer. It's pretty badass. <laughs> it is. It is, especially when you're about to like ice somebody. But yeah. it's 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 so. And then there's you know the family prayer. And then there's the fact that Il Duce, yeah, <clears throat> is Billy Connolly. An actor who is usually quite funny and usually fun to be in, like, in seeing movies. I don't know what happened with him in this one, but for him to be their dad and for either of them to not recognize the other one is kind of insane to me. So when they're shooting at each other on the front lawn of that house, somebody should have been like, wait, dad. Now, if you give Sean Patrick Flannery that line where he yells that, like, kind of inaudibly, like, you don't understand what he's saying besides fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's for that to be, and then it's, again, it's like another one of those, like, first draft screenwriter goes, oh, and I got the big twist. The mafia hitman is their dad. And everybody's kind of like, uh sure sure let's just go with that it makes sense i guess but likewise with that scene what doesn't make sense is how ragged will willem dafoe gets by the end of that reenactment (laughs) how he's like fucking sweaty his shirt pulled out he's like he's like chain smoking even more it's like what happened to this man (laughs) he was the most professional man in the world and now this is rattling him (laughs) and then he decides to uh 
And then he decides to the best way to infiltrate the uh the mafia scene is to uh cross dress and go in there. Dude, again. <clears throat> put that on the top of the list along with him in bed with his boyfriend or like the yeah. guy his guy of the night or whatever and he goes what are you doing and the guy's like i wanted to cuddle he's like well he's like cuddle what a bundle of sticks and it's like really it's like oh i get it it's funny because he's gay and he called him a, a bundle of sticks it's like oh yeah it's funny but is it <laughs> you know but is it though and then with this it's like what are we even doing with this cross-dressing here? You know, it's, it, it doesn't serve. It's just to be like the gay, the horrible stereotype, you know, and it's, it's to throw that awful image out there. And that, that 1999 thought was hilarious, you know, but it's so bad. And I seeing Willem Dafoe and drag is, he looks like the lady gremlin in gremlins too. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, the biggest, he sounds like Willem Dafoe. Like, he doesn't change his voice. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and what, there is a good gag, and I, I would I would love it. It was probably Willem Dafoe, because it's too inspired for Troy Duffy. When the wig gets knocked off in the fight, and then he kicks the guy's ass, and he gets up, he actually puts the wig back on <laughs> and, like, yeah. takes the time to make it, like, straight again. He could very easily just pull off the hair, but like, the hairnet, and let his actual hair be out, which is only a little bit shorter than the act than the wig he puts on. <laughs> but he could just, it, it's such a nice little touch because you could probably tell Defoe was like, yeah, this guy would definitely put the wig back on. It's like, all right, so let's do that. And that's what you get when you get Defoe involved. You know, you get little touches like that. Like that Defoe can take a bad script like, you know, uh, Speed 2 and make the Again, most of it. Another movie where if you remove Defoe, it is unwatchable crime. You know, it's it's a crime against cinema. But yeah, this this movie absolutely. And then the, the the most embarrassing thing about this flick is like man, the man on the street reports that are done over the end credits. And yeah. it's supposed to be this like philosophical debate about are these guys good guys or are they just murderers? What's going on? And then at one point, one of the guys like literally says. And you, the media, are making them heroes. That's why you suck. And it's like, well, I think I know who Troy Duffy voted for in 2016. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think I know who he voted for. And it's it's like, wow, dude. It's like, you can have this point, and it's called being subtle. You know, there's better ways to do what you're doing here than literally having these characters say out loud, the themes that you're trying to express here is very, very amateur hour, man. What do we do? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, this movie, it's there, it's something I wish I left in the past. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, my final note here is definitely doesn't play the same in 2022 as it did in 1999. And it doesn't. Like, pretty much everything else. We'll talk about another incredible movie from 1999 that absolutely does hold up next week. But... It, yeah, this movie, it's it's a cult classic in the sense that you had for the right time in your life and age as a guy, it will speak to you somehow. But then it'll just completely disappear from your life. And if you happen to go back to it later, you're like, wow, this sucks. This is just bad. Like, what was I thinking back then? But 
it also, and I, I do highly recommend the overnight documentary about it. So you can see what a piece of shit this Troy Duffy dude was and how fast his career ended after it began. And it's, it's pretty damn funny. Oh yeah. He has four writing credits, all at least <clears throat> years apart. Yeah. Yeah. No one, he's, he's been burned out of Hollywood. No one, no one wants to touch that guy. But, um, for good right. reason too. Yeah. Yeah. He sucks. So. Let's move on to, to the Warriors, but first we got to talk about uh, what we're, uh, how our beers are doing. So how's yours, Mike? I'm on my second Aiton's End Underground, and I'm enjoying it. Definitely one of the better sours I've had. Nice. Yeah, and I, uh, my Poltervice from uh, Rough Tail is, uh, is good. But now I've just recently cracked open my, my second one, which is freaking Hazer Beams. And it's got little sharks with laser beams attached to their freaking heads on the uh, can art. And freaking, all I want is some freaking sharks with some freaking laser beams. Freaking laser beams attached to their heads. We have sea bass, sir. Are they ill tempered? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> so, but it's like, it's basically just a hazy IPA. There's nothing, not incredible about it, but it is a very good beer. Um, so, that said, Let's get into the movie of the night, which I forgot how good this movie was. Like, I really this is So me and Ross had this discussion before, before we started the episode, and Ross said Escape from New York was the best, uh, the best movie this week, but I thought The Warriors was the best movie. I mean, it's close. I'll give it that it's close, but for me, I, I, I take Escape from New York over this, but... I, I don't think either, like, I can see the arguments for either being the yeah, best movie. Yeah, absolutely, movie. absolutely. But, Mike, I'm going to play a quick game here. Like we did with Under Siege. Are we doing, uh, is, is it a gang from the Warriors? or is it? <laughs> yes, yes we are. All right, so quick game, it's a, it's a short one. It's not going to be long like the Under Siege one. All right, so right off the bat, let's go with the Colt 45s. Well, I know that's a malt liquor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's, um, like, it's like, who wants to be a millionaire? Let's sound out the answer. Let's, let's rationalize that, it. That sounds like it might have been one of the... Uh, yeah, no, I'm saying it's not a gang in this. It is. <laughs> now, you see, there is, according to... According now, this is basically like according to like Walter Hill at some point, the director, he laid out all of the gangs in this movie. Oh, Most, oh so like, we're not even talking about the ones that are named in the movie. Like there's like the twelve went and <laughs> there's like twelve that are actually in the movie. Yeah, but like if I like if I said the grip the Gramercy riffs, you'd be like, yeah, yeah they're the main one. That's that's who uh, that's who Cyrus is part of the main thing. Mm-hmm. All right, so the Stone Cutters. I feel like that's a union, not a gang. It's from The Simpsons, man. <laughs> <laughs> the Stone Breakers are apparently in this, but no, the Stone Cutters are from their uh, their Simpsons uh, uh, secret society that Homer joins. Um, all right, the Rogues. That's got to be one of the gangs in this. It's Luther's gang, man. Yeah. It's it's the yeah. main David Patrick yeah. Kelly gang. Um, all right, let's see the Violators. I'm going to go with no. That's right. They were from Rock and Jock from MTV in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, all right. So how about the Bricklayers? Again, that sounds like a union, but I'm going to go with 
Yeah, yeah. Someone, someone was like, "This is a creative name. Let's make this a gang." It's not. That's uh, who the Violators would play in Rock and Jock. <laughs> they would play the Bricklayers. <laughs> All right. How about the Orphans? Yeah. The Orphans are they are the dirty boys in this, basically. Yeah. I love when they show up because they're just fucking filthy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a green, dirty yeah, shirt. They were, dirty jeans. they were the gangs that wasn't even I don't I forget if they weren't invited or they just chose not to go to the meeting. Oh no, they weren't invited. Yeah. Because they're so as um what's her name? As Lynn Thigpen uh says, the um the DJ, the radio DJ, she says uh, a gang that's so like far on the list, they're like they're not even they're not even thought of or something like yeah. that. They're barely barely even registered. Somebody says that, I think. All right, so last one. I think, oh, we got to find a good one. We got to find a good one. Oh, here we go. All right. The Phillies. The Phillies? That's a baseball team, Ross. They're also a gang in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not the baseball furies. (laughs) They're just the baseball furies, which I I think they're my favorite gang because they're wearing actual cleats. (laughs) They're wearing baseball cleats. Oh, they commit. They commit. Those dudes are the best. They're the most terrifying gang in the whole movie, simply for how committed they are. (laughs) That's. I also this. So the Warriors had a video game made after them, made by Rockstar Games, famous for creating Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, this is in like 2005 or something. Remember running it from WoW Video. This is in like 2005 or something, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was PS2 era. Okay, so yeah, right around that era. Yeah, yeah, that's it's weird because this is from 1979. What the fuck were they doing? Like bringing that back in the 2000s? Like what? Why? Who? Who? Now, like if I'm if I'm Rockstar Games and my bread and butter is Grand Theft Auto, and I'm looking at movies that weren't based the game off of, this is one of them. The best ones i could think of because you have like natural boss battles built in with different gangs and stuff yeah and you can use the same like for like the same sandbox like as grand theft auto just a city that you run around in you know taking uh meeting up with some of these guys and and that's the thing like when we get the the first meeting of the gangs uh when they're going to see cyrus talk we get like crowd shots of all the different gangs i'm sorry even though this was 1979 New York and there are 60,000 gang members in the city. Cause they, I think Cyrus says he's like, so we outnumber them three to one. And it's like 60,000 to 20,000 cops. And it's like, okay, that's terrifying, but I'm seeing some mimes in there. I see a gang that looks like mimes. Um, I think there's other dudes that are dressed like referees, like, like gold and black, like disco referees. Kind of thing. This is but, actually, do you, do you remember that? I think it was on Spike TV, the extreme dodgeball show where yeah. all the dodgeball teams had special like themes. Like you had like the certified public assassins, which they were all dressed up like accountants. You had the bodybuilder dodgeball team, right. and the mime dodgeball team. Yeah. Fucking mimes and all that. Then, like, then the, the punks are the ones at the end in um, uh, Union Square with the uh, with the overalls, and they lo- they're like in like rugby shirts and overalls and roller skates. It's like that's you're not tough, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the '70s when roller skates can be considered tough. I know, and and that's the thing. Like, even though these gangs and the warriors are essentially like number two, basically, like they're kind they're pretty well respected. Yeah. And when you look at their vests, their vests are like 
well-made vests. So like they're almost like a biker gang. They're almost like the Hell's Angels, like with the quality of the the vests they have here. Mm-hmm. The Gramercy Riffs are number one. The Warriors are basically number two. And then there's like obviously the orphans, which are so low that they don't no one gives a shit about them because they're just dirty boys. And then there's the Rogues, which is David Patrick Kelly's crew, Luther and his crew. They're like the wild cards. They're the ones that are like legitimately probably dang- like dangerous to anybody, you know? And other than that, you just got to be on their turf. But New York City is a large city, obviously. And this is in- encompasses all the boroughs and everything. That's one thing this movie does is it really shows just like how, like to get from the Bronx all the way to Coney Island. Yeah, that's a hell of a tough journey, especially if you're going through a bunch of different territories. Yeah, because apparently, like, if you just do the math, like, every other street would have to be someone new territory, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like when you you think about the grand scheme of things, when you think about Daredevil being the superhero of Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen's, like, five blocks, I think. It's like, wow, what a specific superhero. <laughs> yeah, that's... Not to commit crime in that in those five city blocks. You'll be all right. <laughs> well, it's crazy that it, the two biggest gangs in New York, like your top two gangs, the Warriors and, uh, they, like, the Bronx and Coney Island, those are where you guys are deciding? Well, like, you can almost understand the Bronx, you know? It's yeah. like, because the Bronx, like... To this day, still kind of has a bit of a rough reputation. Yeah. Coney Island, on the other hand, it's like, well, what do you run the rides? <laughs> you know, what are you doing out there at Coney Island? <laughs> Listen, we were the second toughest gang in New York, so you know we were getting beachfront properties. <laughs> we have we have the best real estate. <laughs> we are playing the long game here. Do you yeah. know how much our turf is worth? <laughs> You know how many of those taxes we get off that carnival <laughs> off Coney Island? Those hot dogs alone are paying for our vests. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, of course, like the two people we get in this movie that are no, that are names and faces, really, they're just young versions of them, are David Patrick Kelly as Luther. And then we get James Remar as Ajax. I mean, fucking Remar, man. And he plays such a scumbag. To- yeah. Ajax is the worst. And then, of course, we already talked about him in 48 Hours. He is, and that's another Walter Hill movie. He's a gigantic scumbag in that, too. So it's like, when you then you see him like play Dexter's dad, and you're like, well, this is the same guy. Interesting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Guess you got to start somewhere. <laughs> that's Ajax. Like, he's one of those guys where, like, during the fight with the baseball team, <laughs> Like he's a he is a sick fighter. Like they, but he gets yeah. exactly what he deserves. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, really, dude. Like it's 1979, and there's just this hot woman hanging out on a park bench mm-hmm. by herself in the middle of the night. That's obviously a cop, <laughs> or that's some sort of trap. You're gonna be either sniped or handcuffed to that bench and arrested. You know, it's one of the two things gonna happen. But the obviously the the biggest part of this movie that and the two the two lines that everyone knows from this movie without even having seen this movie 
is first off the bat, the first one we get is the can you dig it? Yeah. Like that's such a great that's, line. Watching this movie, I'm almost like, did the rock base his wrestling persona off of Isaac? <laughs> right. Is the Brahma Bull one of their gangs? Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of the territories of Manhattan. Is that the, is that a gang in the Warriors? <laughs> that's I'm like, this guy's the rock. He, he's the rock. Are the rocks a gang somewhere like in Queens or something? <laughs> but the Dwayne Johnsons, that would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> the Dwaynes. The Dwaynes. Yeah. Turns out that they're they're just all they do is just raise their eyebrow at you. <laughs> That's how you know. <laughs> they're all just a bunch of guys named Dwayne that just kind of like they form the very, it's a very, very specific gang. You have to be named Dwayne to get in. It has to be spelled D-W-A-Y-N-E. They never even meant to form a gang. They were just hanging. They just had a funny meeting where they had like five guys named Dwayne and they were like, we should form a club. Right. <laughs> they get a bunch of guys named Dwayne and then they somehow end up with turf and they're like, we are not prepared for this gang war. And then right. Dwayne it's like, Johnson it's like this- comes up and he's like, I'm a Hulk of a man and I can... <laughs> It's like it's like the uh, the alternative uh, secret society in The Simpsons, the Stonecutters. It's the No Homers Club, <laughs> the ancient society of No Homers. Yes, but um, but then then of course there's David Patrick Kelly's uh, Luther's Warriors come out to play. It's like this guy, this guy knew how to. He knows how to be just a fucking that's, lunatic. <laughs> that's my absolute favorite part of this movie is when. Uh, is when he finally gets found out. He's like, no, no. No, it was the Warriors. <laughs> no. Then he just starts screaming as the riffs basically tear him apart. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's... I also love the whole, just his entire motivation. They're like, why'd you do it? Because I like doing stuff like that sometimes. I, I just like doing stuff. Yeah, it's like kind of like I want to watch the world burn situation. Mm-hmm. But he is... He does make that phone call at one point and we don't know who he's talking to. And he says it all went off without a hitch, whatever. So there is a theory out there that he's working with the police. Yeah. Like that. He's somehow working with the cops and it makes sense, but they never explore it like that. Nothing ever comes to that, but it, uh, it would make sense because it's like, yeah, the cops would probably know that they are well outmanned and they would need to. And if this is happening, they would definitely need to take somebody out, take him out like Malcolm. (laughs) The most ridiculous scene in this movie to me is when they actually do like when he goes to get the gun, one guy on the end pulls it out and they pass it to like six guys before it finally gets there. Right. Yeah. They eventually gets there. It's like, wait, did you already fire this? What the hell's happening here? (laughs) Oh, there's gum on it. Now imagine he just had a bad shot and just totally missed. Yeah, that's the thing. You better be good. You better take that shot. But- also, I just also find it very hard to believe that no one outside of the single warrior and his gang saw that it was him. Right. Yeah. And it kind of has to, like, I mean, obviously it has In to In order happen, for it to work, that has to happen. So the movie can happen. Yeah, it's, that's what's got to happen. But um, I do, I do like when we eventually get the line when uh the one guy get the Gramercy refs guy gets the reports and he's like, Yeah, we got a report that it was the it was wasn't the Warriors. The Warriors are good. It was uh it was the rogues and all that. It was somebody else who shot Cyrus and all that. But um yeah the way like the way that this start kicks off and it's like the Warriors are on the run the rest of the movie 
because they have to get basically have to get back to the base before they get killed. Um, and even then, what's going to stop gangs from showing up to Coney Island? You know, it's like we're going to kill you. This is where we know you are. Don't go there. <laughs> you know, you're right? not safe. I want to know Island. what the other warriors were because, like, this radio broadcast is going out. What were the other warriors doing? Because you have to assume that they have, like. Well, that's the thing, yeah, because only nine members can go to this meeting. Yeah. So, every, and obviously the orphans got like 50 dudes. Yeah. So, the warriors, you would assume, would have a lot more than the nine that we say. So, yeah, they're, they're just sitting at home and they start hearing these broadcasts go, what the fuck, man? <laughs> what happened out there? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yes. <laughs> He's like, should we go help? They're fine. <laughs> it's fine. We don't How need are we going to find them? It's fine. No, don't it's, it's it a back. big city. Such a big city out there. You know, we'll, we'll just wait till they get. That sounds like a real hassle to go find them. Yeah. See, I'm just going to stay here playing skee ball. I think we'll be fine. But um, yeah. And then then there's there's a lot of the one drawback that this movie does have for me is some of the a lot of the acting is very like stilted and kind of like you can tell that these dudes are like first time actors and that this is their first like big movie kind of thing it's there there's a lot that's not really delivered with style it's just yeah. kind of like just kind of said and it's like if we're going for that being awkward then mission accomplished but it's just it, it throws off a lot of like the rhythm of a lot of these scenes yeah but i do think in terms of overall pacing and like just action set pieces and fight scenes i really enjoy this movie yeah there's a lot going on and uh especially like even even with mercy the uh the character of mercy who comes to she's basically like talking shit on the orphans Mm -hmm. about the warriors like while sort of being on their side too and then she goes off with that with the warriors and she's with swan for a little bit and she tries to like she tries to fuck him at one point and he just goes He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in for. It. Why don't you just tie a mattress to your back? And I was like, that's, that's kind of a good line. That's a good way to call her a whore without calling her a whore, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's, it is funny because then there's that scene in the, um, in the subway car where she and Swan are sitting there, and then that like prom, those prom couples get on, yeah. and they're kind of like looking at, they're just staring daggers at them, like, who the fuck do you think you are? And they're, they look at them like, oh. Oh yeah, we we shouldn't be here. <laughs> oh look, honey, it's our stop. You know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what what would have been hilarious is if they get off with the baseball team and they're like, "Oh, you think we want to fight? No, meet us at the diamond, motherfucker." That's right. We're gonna settle this on a pickup game. <laughs> <laughs> We're settling this like Benny the Jet Rodriguez will in. T- 15 years <laughs> right something like that but um yeah it's the there's and then there's a lot of like we said like this the scope of this movie is so weirdly small because we're focusing on the warriors and yeah. getting away but they're going through the entirety of like manhattan in like so new like york it, basically yeah it, to get like they're literally if you're just going five boroughs or four boroughs not including staten if you're not including staten island because that's kind of removed from who the would other, because like, who would <laughs> um this is like as far as you can go pretty much yeah yeah i mean they might as well be coming from like newark you know yeah. <laughs> it's it's 
It's it's a hike, and it's like Coney it's really- Island. Even to get from like to get from downtown Manhattan to Coney Island on public transit will take you forty five minutes. And that's that's the thing. Like they are sitting in, they are settling in for like the long haul when they first get on the train, and then that like house fire is there, and they got to yeah. get off. And like they're like they, I think one of them like makes the statement. Like I think it's Vermin. Vermin's like he's like, oh, now we just got to ride it on the Coney Island. It's like Kirk. Next stop closed get off because there's a fucking fire you know it's like oh god damn it <laughs> i spoke too soon <laughs> that's i wish you got to see more of the leader of the warriors which oh um the original one yeah the, the dude that gets like beat up and like probably killed at the start of probably the killed yeah we don't know what happens to him to let swan be yeah basically take over but um that oh, but we do get the one cool ass death which is um the other dude that like looks to be like the number two now, when yeah. the cop kicks him in front of the subway car, like the train, yeah. and it's like I was like, holy shit! Like you don't see anything happen. It's like, oh my god, that's such a brutal death for this movie. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, that's it's crazy how this movie is like kind of violent without showing much violence. Yeah. And the violence edition is just fist fights. Yeah. That's all it really is. It's just kind of like a little bit of a. A little bit of hardcore fist fights, and um, whereas I, I'm willing to bet that they were happy Ajax got arrested because he would have been more of a problem getting back then. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. That fuck that guy. <laughs> like, yeah, he's probably their best fighter that they have with them, but you yeah, know, like he's too much of a he's a liability. He's very he much a liability. Is. He's like the definition of liability. But um, but yeah, and it's it's. It's so much of this movie is, I don't know, it's weird because it is like the gritty 70s, but likewise, you're like, this is sort of like John Wick 3, 2 and 3, where like everyone's a gang member, you know, like there there are no regular people really, except for this these two couples that get on the train after prom. <laughs> That's what, like, what time of night does this movie technically start, it's it's dark. Uh, yeah. I would say like nine o'clock or something like that, maybe. So I guess that kind of explains like the gangs are all out on the hunt for them, and most normal people would probably be home. And if there's this many gangs in New York, I'm guessing not that many people venture out at night. Oh yeah, I'm sure TV ratings were through the roof during the seventies in New yeah. York. <laughs> but yeah, and well, of course, then there is the fact that what is the origin or the nature of the broadcast for the radio, the yeah. radio show? Is it just for gangs or is it like a regular radio station that if a regular person tuned into it, they would just hear a lot of nonsense words, basically. That's all coded, you know, stuff. So it's like, is this like pirate gang radio? <laughs> if so, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, and what I do, one of the things I do love, and it it makes it makes no sense when you actually think of the logistics of it, when David Patrick Kelly and Swan square off at the end, and Patrick Kelly pulls the gun, and Swan like steps to the side and throws the switchblade into his hand and forces him to drop the gun on that, the gun gets fired and a yeah. shot is shot. There are like three guys behind Swan that absolutely got hit. <laughs> one of them absolutely got that's, shot. That's the. Like, especially with how far away he hit Cyrus on a kill shot in like cause yeah. that was that's a deep shot that he made with a pistol. Right. Yeah, somebody's absolutely taking a bullet to the teeth with that one. 
but <laughs> right, you imagine like so he it like fires as it's like kind of getting dropped and someone just goes he fucking shot me in the foot <laughs> hey, son of a bitch i think i'm dying man it's like shut up <laughs> you're not part of this get shot in the dick like <laughs> shot me in the dick oh god but, and then uh, then of course right after that like the riffs like it's one of those again it said were you waiting for like an entry line right there because when that happens that's when the riffs show up it's like yeah that's well the riffs have, you have of to you. assume the riffs have like gathered because like they they didn't show up they're there the right. crowd is set up right but then they like announced themselves and everybody's yeah. kind of like what it's like you had to have known they were there. You had yeah. to have. There's a hundred and fifty of them. them all coming down. Right. It's it is bright and sunny. There's a hundred and fifty angry black guys that just walked up. Someone would have noticed. <laughs> but what what I love is, and I wish it's it kind of gets the um Butch and um uh uh Ving Rames is carried Marcellus Wallace. So Butch okay. and Marcellus line from Pulp Fiction where you get the we good? It's like, nah, man. It's like, yeah, we good. But you lost all your LA privileges, like shit like that. Like, we kind of get that line from here when the Gramercy Revs later. He goes, the Warriors, we good. You really, you really good. And it's like, okay. And I think he actually says, like, we really, really good. It's like, all right. You want to keep tacking some reallys on there, you know? He's like, the Warriors are good, really good. And he goes, the best. Right, yeah. He's like, oh, well, the best. And we have to fight now because we are clearly the best. That you are are outgunned here, sir. Maybe don't talk shit. Accept the compliment and move on. Yeah, right. It's like, we're done. This is is over. And then it's, and then of course, there's pretty much like the perfect song to go out on, which is the, which is in the city. And it's, Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like a weirdly corny song, but it works. It works perfectly, and yeah. like it really is. It's one of those movies where like you go back to it and you're like, oh my god, this is this is a lot better than I remember it being. Because all you remember from this movie really is the baseball furies and David Patrick Kelly, like his little sing song warriors. That's yeah. that's what you remember. You don't remember it actually having like the Lizzie's like set a trap for the warriors, essentially like a honeypot trap kind of thing. Now, frankly, one of those warriors, especially the kid that's like on edge the whole time, he should have noticed that all those girls are wearing the same shirt. He should have noticed that. (laughs) And he should have known that there is an all girls gang out here somewhere. I think we just found them. (laughs) That's now the other thing, like the, when he's doing the sing song warriors, the beer clanking on his fingers is such a nice, like that rattles you. Yep, yep, and it it just adds to how unhinged he is. Yeah, because it's so perfectly timed. It's like you know he does that shit just like yeah. sitting around, you know. <laughs> like, will you stop it, dude? And it's driving. And he just shoots the guy. Yeah, it's like Luther. For fuck's sake, put the bottles away. <laughs> Now, a crazy twist would have been if he was on the phone with someone, if it was the number two for the riffs, and then the guy on the riffs turned on Luther to kind of cover his own ass. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's that would that would be uh, that would be a nice little plot twist. It'd be kind of like out of... It, it would add another storyline to this movie yeah. that you don't really need, because the storyline is Cyrus dead, gang would... New York wants to kill the Warriors, Warriors gotta survive. That's... That, about what it is you know yeah but yeah it is it's it's a good one it's it's definitely called classic because it's 
one of the more underrated movies out there that pretty much everybody's like, you know what? This is a good ass movie. <laughs> yeah, that's that is one thing. Like, I've seen it once before this, and upon rewatching, I'm like, this movie was really good. Yeah, it is. So that's probably enough for the Warriors and week two of cult classics, uh, August. Some like uh, general spiel about where people can find us doing things. Well, if you're hearing this episode, you know where we're streaming. I don't have to waste my breath on yeah, that. Tell but your friends. <laughs> if you're not following us on social media, go follow us on social media. We're on yeah. Instagram and Facebook, and now we're regularly releasing content on YouTube as well. So give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, you know, show us all the support. And we love to hear from you. So give us some comment on our videos shoot us a message tell us how wrong we are about the boondock scenes whatever oh yeah yeah i really want to hear from those people yeah <laughs> yeah i want to hear from you boondock saints fans i'm sure you guys especially right. if you're the first older. time i ever heard of the boondock saints i'm like oh is that a movie for the television show boondocks <laughs> right exactly yeah if you're an older boondock saints fan still clinging to it i kind of want to know why like i kind of want to know why and I don't. I'm not entirely sure I'll be able to accept the answer. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm not I'll sure be able there to. There is a valid reason, right? I mean, unless your name is Troy Duffy, and if you are Troy Duffy, and you, it's the reason why you have a home right now, then sure, I guess. But just know that you suck, man. You really suck. But anyway, so next week we like keep going with this, and next week we got probably it's it's another one like along with this week. It's like. It's just a three bangers, even though this week was two bangers and one turns out to not be a banger. But next week might be the best overall week for me. It is. I I would say it definitely is. Yeah. But um, that's just quality of movies wise. Maybe not cult classic status wise. Yeah. But quality of movies wise, absolutely is. So two from nineteen ninety nine. We're doing two from nineteen ninety nine, which is first we're gonna do Office Space, and then Fight Club. And then we're going to fast forward a few years to 2006, and we're going to come back with Mike Judge, and we're going to do Idiocracy. So, so the, the first so first week we had like kind of a horror theme. Second week action theme. Third week, I guess it's our anti-consumerism theme and borderline comedy. Borderline comedy, but yeah. because Idiocracy and Office Space are comedies, but Fight Club is also pretty fucking funny too. Yeah. <laughs> but they are all anti-consumerism. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, there is, um, and we'll get into it, the whole debate of why a lot of people enjoy Fight Club for what it is, which is the anti-consumerist um, skewering of, like, testosterone-fueled male image and, like, what it means to, like, be a man. And then there's the people that completely misunderstand that and think that Tyler Durden is like the greatest man that that's ever been. It's like, well, yeah, because he's a fucking cartoon character, my friend. He's not supposed to be a real person. That's why he's not a real person. <laughs> that's why the real one is the boring office drone. But until that time, when we talk about Fight Club, Office Space, and Idiocracy, I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McWiggin. We'll see you guys next time. So long. Can you dig it? Can you dig it?